The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Hey, everybody. It's a powerful skit, man. Uh, so good. Hey, turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Man, I love that skit. Jesus paid it all, and really the story of Daniel points to Jesus. All the scripture does, really. Uh, the story of Daniel points to Jesus, and I want to look tonight. Uh, Brody did, man, such a, it was such a cool time this morning looking at the whole story of Daniel through the whole book, and now I want to zoom in on just one story. Y'all have heard this story before, the story of the fiery furnace? Y'all probably heard this a lot uh, if you've been in church for a while, but man, it is a mind-blowing story. So just to give you a recap of where we're at thus far in the story, Man, at this point, y'all remember Daniel and his three friends and lots of other people were captured by the, the ancient Babylonians. And they were taken away from their families, marched. They, I mean, and the Babylonians tried to erase their culture, tried to erase, erase their language, tried to erase their religion, gave them completely new names. Now, this wasn't unique to God's people. Like the Babylonians did this with a lot of different nations. They take the best ones from this nation, put them in their spot. Take the best ones from this nation and that nation and this nation. So at this time, Babylon's like this big melting pot, right? So at the point we're going to pick up this story in Daniel chapter 3, Daniel has just, we talked about this this morning, Daniel has just told Nebuchadnezzar, hey man, your kingdom's not going to last forever. It's going to fall, and then another kingdom's going to come, and another kingdom's going to come. And Brody didn't mention this, but do you remember how Daniel told him that this was going to happen? What happened? You had a dream. Nebuchadnezzar had this weird dream about a giant statue, a golden statue. Well, the head of the statue was gold, and then the chest was like silver, and then the belly was like bronze, and the legs were like iron, and the feet were, were like clay. And he basically told the story of how another nation's going to come after you, and another nation after that, another nation after that, and then a, a stone's going to come and knock it all down. And so basically, after Daniel told the dream correctly, Nebuchadnezzar's like, Dude, you're getting a promotion. This is great. I'm going to put you over all the, the Chaldeans, which the Chaldeans were like cousins to the Babylonians. And Daniel basically saved those guys' lives. Now, zoom in. We're going to chapter 3. All right? It's after that. Daniel and his boys have just been promoted. Remember, Brody said that Daniel stood up for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and those guys got promotions too. So that's where we pick up the story, starting in chapter 3. It says this. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. So he makes this statue. So the cubit thing is weird, but basically this statue is 90 feet tall by nine feet wide. So it's a pretty tall, skinny statue. We don't know if it's like supposed to be a statue of a man. If so, it's the skinniest man alive. But like it's this giant golden statue. Sound familiar? It should because he just dreamed about something like that, right? And probably, here's what I think. I think that dream bothered him so bad. I think because he's thinking, man, I'm the head of gold and then another nation's coming after me. Man, my legacy, what's going to happen? You know, everybody's worried about their legacy. What's going to happen to them after they die? And he's thinking, my legacy is just like, meow, meow, meow. It's going to go down, down. And how can I fix that? How can I make it to where my kingdom won't end? You know, my nation's really divided. I've taken people from over here and over here and over here and over here. They're all different languages, all different religions. He's probably thinking, Maybe if I can change the kingdom, I can change the outcome. 
Maybe it doesn't have to end like that. If I can make this kingdom that's all divided right now, if I can make them united. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this big idea. I'm going to build this giant statue, and I'm going to unite all these people in worship. They're going to be all united in worship with me really as the organizer, me as the king, maybe even me as the god. So that's where we pick it up, all right? So King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, this 90-foot golden statue. And it says, uh, at the end of verse 1, it says, Now he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Pause. Y'all know where Babylon is or was? It's like ancient Iraq. So picture, when you're picturing this scene, it is a really ancient culture. Picture way out in the desert on the plain of Dura, which is where they say the Tower of Babel probably was. So it's this desert wasteland, and you have all these really weird ancient cultures gathered together. You know, I always picture stuff like those Mad Max movies and stuff, or the people out in the desert all dressed weird, all chanting stuff. And like, so he sets up, all these people are gathered around, and he sets up this giant golden statue. And he says this in verse 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It's a really repetitive uh, passage. But basically, he invites all these folks. Now, we don't know what all these titles are, but it seems like some of them are like government folks, and some of them are like cultural leaders. So it seems kind of like you got politicians and celebrities, lots of important people from all these different regions, and he's bringing them in, listen, for the dedication of the statue. So they think, great, statue dedication. This will be fun. It'll be like a parade. It's going to be awesome. Statue dedication. So a lot of scholars say that along with all these important people, all the people of Babylon came. So this would have been somewhere in between 200,000 and 300,000 people. So that, that number is really hard to calculate. Like this building holds about 2,000 if it's all packed out. So 300,000. Uh, so as far as college football goes, I root for the University of Georgia because I'm from Georgia. Now, uh, not popular in this crowd, I see. But, uh, so me and my dad went to a game recently, and at this game, that when you walk into that stadium, if you've ever been to a college game, it's overwhelming how many people are there. Because in, in the stadium at Georgia, there's like 90,000 people. And you walk out, and you just see this big bowl of people all the way around, and the noise when they're yelling, just like, what? I mean, it's, it's emotional seeing 90,000 people together. Imagine three giant football stadiums full of people out on this ancient plain and there's one glistening gold statue set up so all these people are out there for the dedication of the image all right now there's fixing to be a big plot twist we're here for the dedication and the herald who's like kind of like the host the herald proclaimed aloud you are commanded, O people, nations, and languages, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you're to fall down and worship this golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. What? 
That's new. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be cast into the fiery furnace. There's this big furnace that they use probably to melt down the gold sitting right there. And you've got to think these people are like, what? This is a statue dedication. Like, this happened so fast. For us, we know the story. We're like, yeah, yeah, the fiery furnace, and everybody's got to bow down. But for these guys, imagine You've been invited to a statue dedication. These guys are like, hey, you got to bow down to this. You got to worship or we're going to burn you alive. You, you got to imagine these folks are like, what, what the heck? Like, what, what, what even religion is this? I don't even, what, what, how do you get to heaven in this one? Their friends are like, man, get down. Get, they're going to burn you up. They're going to burn you alive. Get down. But you got to think, there's so much pressure in this situation. Imagine the scene. Like, try to, try to get there. If, if you're a picture person, try to get there in your mind. There's some sort of stage. You got all these musicians. You got the king himself. You got this big statue. You got the, the fiery furnace. And then 300,000, I mean, just an ocean of people out there. But so much pressure on these people. If you don't bow down and worship, we're going to burn you alive. But it's not just the pressure of death. Like, there's the pressure of this giant crowd. you got to think about, this is like the ultimate Super Bowl halftime show. For real. Everybody famous in all these lands are here. they got every musician in the land is playing music. you got, there's Drake, there's Doja Cat, you got Megan Thee Stallion. They're all like at this big dedication, right? Then you got every politician in the land is there, every actor, every influencer, every famous person is there. This ocean of people and then this celebrity host, the Herald, stands up. This is like the Nick Cannon of the day, maybe a Steve Harvey or somebody. He stands up and he's like, all right, how's everybody doing out there? Hey, listen, if y'all don't worship this, we're going to throw you in there and you're going to be burned alive. It was a crazy scene. If you've never heard this story before, it's extra crazy. It's a brand new surprise law with the ultimate punishment, death. So, verse 7, it happened so fast. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people, all the nations, all the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Is it real worship? No. Where does worship come from? It comes from the heart, right? I mean, you can't force that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like, if, if we were to say, hey, everybody, we're going to lead you in a couple of songs. Why don't y'all stand up? And if you don't sing, we're going to burn you alive. You'd be like, what? We're out. We're leaving. You can't coerce people into, into real worship. But King Nebuchadnezzar, he's only concerned about conformity on the outside. He's not really conform, uh, concerned about the heart. So picture the scene. As soon as the music plays, 300,000 people bow down. Man, for Nebuchadnezzar, it's a huge success. It's, he's uniting the kingdom. It's a successful move by Nebuchadnezzar, except that three remain standing. Verse 8, therefore at that time certain Chaldeans, we've seen these guys before in the last chapter. Remember those guys that Daniel saved their lives? Certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Now, there's a little bit of a racial argument here, a racial element where these guys are like, man, we're Chaldeans, we're close to the Babylonians. These Jews... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these guys are promoted over us? How in the world is that going to happen? you got to imagine they're scouring the crowd, being like, man, I know those guys aren't going to bow down. Where are they? We're going to find them. Ooh, and as soon as they see them not bowing down, they're like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're going right to the king. Ooh, here we go. And they go straight up to the king, and it says, they declare, 
to King Nebuchadnezzar. O king, live forever. You, O king, you made a decree, right? That everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, right? And, every, and whoever doesn't fall down and worship will be cast into the burning, fiery furnace, right? There's certain Jews who you appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods. They do not worship the golden image you've set up. They want vengeance on these guys. And man, Nebuchadnezzar, he loses it. Look at verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage. All right, pause. You got to know, Nebuchadnezzar is like a super emotional guy. I picture him like a, dang, what's that movie? The, the cartoon movie with the emotions. Um, Inside out, yes, with the little red guy that's like, and like, that's how I picture King Nebuchadnezzar. It's like, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, these guys are not bowing down. He's like, and he's so mad, and he commands that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they bring these guys, like they bring them all the way from the back of the crowd, all the way in front of everybody, and they put them on the stage. So you got to imagine, you got the king, you got the statue, you've got the furnace, you got an ocean of people, all these celebrities, all these politicians, all these musicians, and every eye is on these guys. They're right up in front of them. So, what, why is he so mad? Man, they didn't go along with the plan, and they're like his boys. Like, he's promoted these guys. He gave them a chance. They're supposed to be like officials, higher officials in the kingdom. What the heck? So, he brings them down. He's going to give them a second chance. And really, their loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar probably earns that. Nebuchadnezzar answers verse, verse 14, and he says to him, and remember, he's so mad. He's like, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Is it true that you don't serve my gods? You don't worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, he's giving them a second chance, you know, because he knows what kind of men the Chaldeans are. They could be lying. And so here's the second chance, verse 15. Now, if you're ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, every kind of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Whoa. Should not have said that. But he's saying, understand the score. If you bow right now, we're all good. If you do not, you're going right there. We're going to burn you alive. But think about the last statement. Who is the God that can deliver you out of my hands? What an arrogant statement for a man to make, especially one that just needed his dreams read. He forgot all about that, right? He's probably thinking, I mean, your God didn't deliver you when we captured you, so he probably won't deliver you right now. Who's the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're about to answer the king, and I want you all to look at how bold they are. With 300,000 sets of eyes, all the celebrities, all the beautiful and powerful people, everybody's looking at them. Look at how bold they are. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Ooh, you got to imagine the whole crowd went, ooh, dang, oh, shoot. I cannot believe that. They didn't even call him king. Much less my God. They didn't even call him king. They say, hey, Nebi. You know, like, there's like Nebuchadnezzar. We, we, don't, we don't owe you an answer in this matter. Verse 17. 
if this be so, meaning if this is how it is, bow down or go in there, then our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you've set up. Man, that's such a bold answer considering the situation that these guys are in. Our God, they're answering the question, who's the God that can deliver? And they say, our God can, if he wants to. It's the same thing the leper said when he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you want to, you can make me clean. They're saying, our God can deliver us if he wants to, whatever he wants, though. We cast our fates on him. We don't know if, he, we don't know if he's going to save us, but we do know we ain't going to bow down to your statue. They follow God's word even though they didn't know his will. It's important. They followed God's word even though they didn't know his will. They trusted God's will, whatever the outcome. But this they made clear. They said, he will deliver us out of your hand. Meaning, he's going to deliver us from the fire or he's going to deliver us through the fire to, to the next world. But either way, we're going to be out from you. Verse 19. After this bold answer, hey, we don't need to answer you, king. God's going to deliver us or maybe not. Either way, we're going to be done with you. Oh, Nebi, he loses it. He's like, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think that's a funny detail he puts in there. Like, all of a sudden, he's like, <laughs> you know, he just, the expression of his face is changed towards these guys. And it says, he ordered the furnace heated seven times more hot than it was usually heated. Pause. Why? That thing is 2,000 degrees if it's melting gold. What? If you really want these guys to suffer, tone it down a little bit. Slow roast them a little bit. This is like insta-kill. He's out of his mind, right? And you see how sloppy it is. But let's just slow down for a second. Just think about how much pressure these three guys are under. I mean, they have the king, the most powerful man in the nation. Six times in this passage, it repeats the king, the king, the king. They had the, pr the pressure of authority. The second pressure they had <clears throat> was the pressure of conformity. How many people were gathered? An ocean of people, 300,000 people. And it was all the important, the beautiful, the popular people. All the people, all the nations, all the languages. Man, peer pressure is real. You get that many people doing the same thing? I watched this show one time. Uh, it Basically, the premise of the show, it was like a reality show, and they were trying to see if they could convince someone to commit a really bad crime. And so the way they did this was they would try to pressure them into little compromises. And so it was, man, it was a fascinating show. So the first one they did was they had, uh, they had 10 people sit down like they're doing a job interview, right? And so everyone had a piece of paper, but the person didn't know nine of them were actors. They were just testing one person. So nine of them were actors and one was the real guy. He thought everybody's coming in for a job interview. So he goes in and sits down in this room, right? And all of a sudden there's a noise. Boop! And all nine people go, whoop, and just stand up. No explanation. And the one guy's like, and just stands up. He don't know why he's standing up. He's just like, I guess everybody's standing up. Boop! It happens again, and all nine people go, whoop, and sit down. And the guy's like, sits down. Boop! Boop! He just falls in line, has no clue why he's sitting. And they do this to a bunch of different people. You get a lot of people doing the same thing. Sometimes it's hard to resist that. You know what I mean? That sort of cultural pressure is hard. It's, it's really hard to resist. Man, can you imagine the sort of excuses that could have come up for these guys? 
I watched another show called Alone. You ever seen that show? If you haven't, the premise of that is basically they take 10 people, however many, and they throw them out into the wilderness with a few items and say, ready, live. And basically these guys just have to find their own food. They sleep, they eat, they whatever. And it's just whoever lasts the longest. So usually most folks do really good for like 30 days. Well, the trick is inside their little homemade shelter, they have a cell phone. And at any point, they can just hit a button, boop, and say, I'm done. And a big boat will come, come over, and they'll give them a cheeseburger and take them to town, and it's over, right? And so it's like they just stay as long as they can, and last man standing wins. But it's funny, on this show, you can see when people are starting to crack because they'll start negotiating. They'll start compromising a little bit. They'll start saying things like, you know, you know, I, I'm starting to think I've kind of done everything I came here to accomplish. You're like, oh, man, you're fixing to tap out. Like right now, you're, you're about to tap out right now. Or, or a guy's like, man, you know, I really, I'm, I'm worried about the toll this is taking on my family. You're like, you're cracking. You, you, you're about to tap out because they start negotiating with themselves. They start making these excuses. Can you imagine how easy it would have been for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three people in the midst of just unknown, uh, I mean, multitudes of people. Can you imagine how easy it would have been? For them, just start making excuses like this. You know, imagine if they said this. It'd be good for us to keep these positions of influence. You know, God's put us in these positions. So we probably ought to bow just so we can stay in these spots. We're helping our people out. Or maybe the second one. Okay, yeah, I personally wouldn't bow in this situation, but uh, an official in Babylon would, and that's the role I'm playing right now, so I'm just going to go ahead and bow. Or maybe they say, you know, I went along with the name. I might as well go along with this. Or the king gave us a second chance. You know, we owe him a little bow. Or, man, I'm too young to die. Or, you know, God hasn't actually made his will clear to me on this. So I'm just going to go ahead and bow down. Or my favorite. You know, I'm going to bow on the outside, but I'm going to be standing on the inside. Mm. Man, you think about as the pressure of the authority and conformity and just intimidation started weighing heavy, all these reasons have to start feeling more valid. But praise God, man, with these three, there's no excuse. There's no compromise. There's no half obedience. They stand strong. All right, back to the story. Meanwhile, old Nebi is losing his mind. He's so mad, right? And he orders the furnace seven times hotter. Ridiculous. In verse 20, it says, he ordered some of his mighty men. That's like his Navy SEALs, his Green Berets, his best soldiers. He ordered some of his mighty men to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the burning fiery furnace. So these men were tied up in their cloaks and their tunics with their hats on and their other garments and were... Usually when they're executing folks, they take their clothes off just to humiliate them and so they can keep their clothes. And so, but this is sloppy. He's doing it in a hurry. He's just so mad. And it says, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Now, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flames of fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell tied up into the burning fiery furnace. And he's so mad that he's sloppy about the execution. He's killing his best guys. He's just flying off the handle. And for our three guys, for our heroes in the story, this is worst case scenario. They're tied up, thrown into the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar wins again. Except that three remain standing. Look at what happens. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Hey, didn't we throw three men tied up into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True. And he said, I see four men not tied up walking around the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. We have heard this story, if you've been in church, a million times, but imagine how shocked these guys are. Imagine how shocked they are. It's a huge moment. They can't believe their eyes. They're not burned. They're not tied up. They don't even seem to be hurt. And who's the other guy? Okay, so I was telling my son that I was going to preach, and he said, what you preaching on? And I said, the fire furnace. And he said, I don't like that story. And I said, you don't like that story? Why not? And he said, I don't like all the people getting burned alive and stuff. And I was like, buddy, you, side note, I need to do a better job. Uh, But I was like, man, you know, they don't actually get burned alive. You know, when they get thrown in there, they stand up and they're walking around. He's like, that's right. Oh, that's right. And I said, what about the fourth guy that's in there? And he goes, ah, see, that's what I don't like. And I was like, what? And he's like, you know, that they get thrown in there. There's already a guy in there like burning alive, just laying there. And I was like, no, that's, I need to do a better job. But no, I was like, they say there's three men walking around. We threw three men in there tied up and a fourth one's in there walking around. And he looks like a son of the gods. And he went, oh my gosh, is that Jesus? And I was like, I think so. I think it is. And now we don't know if it's really Jesus or if it's an angel, but we know this. God's with these guys in the fire. God is with them. It is a crazy miracle from God. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fire furnace and he yelled, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors, all the famous people, they gathered together and they saw the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their clothes were not harmed. They didn't even smell like smoke. Okay. You're Nebuchadnezzar, the king. What do you do with this? You got 300,000 people looking at you. You got all the important people looking at you. And your power and the power of your gods looks pretty silly right now. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies, yielded up their bodies, yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. So I make a decree. I told you he's emotional. Any people, any nation, any language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and their house is laid in ruins because no other God's able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Man, what he says here is kind of crazy. Remember, he's an emotional guy. But I think he is really having a realization of how powerful God is. He's saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who a minute ago, I said, could not deliver out of my hand. Blessed be these guys who didn't listen to me. Whoops. And then he gives them a promotion. He promotes them even further in the kingdom, which really had to burn up the the Chaldeans. No pun intended. All right, so it is an amazing story. What are you supposed to get out of it? Let me me give you, there's a lot of things we could say. There are a lot of lessons. I just want to give you four quick lessons. All right, number one, 
establish yourself. This is for us. What do we get out of this? Establish yourself as one who doesn't give in to the world. There's a lesson we can learn out of this. Establish yourself as one who doesn't give in to the world. Here's a key question. Where is Daniel in this story? You ever think about that? All the people are around, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are here. Where's Daniel? Some people say, Daniel probably took a well-timed sick day. He's like, wait, y'all doing the statue thing? <laughs> I think I got the COVID. <laughs> like, you know, I don't believe that. I don't think that he took a well-timed sick day. Some people say it just happened that he was out on other business. I don't think that either. Here's what I think happened. I think Nebuchadnezzar knew that this day is coming up, and he's like, ah, oh, shoot. Man, Daniel is not going to bow down. I, he's not going to worship me. He's not going to worship this statue. I, you know what? I'm going to save the public spectacle. I don't want to kill one of my top dogs. I'm just going to let him stay home. Daniel had established and resolved he's not going to be swayed in his convictions. Daniel has established himself as one who doesn't give in to the world. See, Daniel isn't in the story, but his influence is. Remember, he's the one in the last chapter that he asked, he made a request of the king, and the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Man, he has been a leader. He's been investing in these guys. And now in this story, these boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are demonstrating and establishing us too. We're not going to bend. We're not going to bow. We're not going to obey. What I'm saying is, y'all, in your school and on your team and in your life, man, establish you're not going to give in to the pressure to worship something other than God. For real. You're not going to think like the unsaved friends in your school think. You're not going to worship what they worship. You're not going to find your identity in sports. You're not going to find your identity in how you look or what you're good at. Be different. They're going to see this. You're going to stand out in a crowd. You're going to be a light. Second point. I said we got four lessons. This is the second one. This story had a happy ending. Some don't. This story had a happy ending. Some don't. Remember they said, hey, God can deliver us, but he might not. In some cases, God doesn't. You think about Peter and Paul and Stephen. They had the same faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, and they were beheaded and crucified and stoned to death. That's not a failure on their part. It's not a failure on God's part. It's a reality. We're called to suffer in this world. And if you stand for Christ in this world, you're going to have troubles. But man, just like the story, God's going to be with you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we know God can save us, but if, even if he doesn't, we're still going to serve him. What I'm saying is, if you're living that out, if you're in a spot, I don't, I don't know all you guys, like if you're in a spot where you've been begging God to keep that temptation from you or keep that sickness from your family and it feels like you've been thrown in the fire, God's with you. And that's the third point third lesson we get out of this is God is with us in the fire. Now, again, we don't know if that was literally Jesus in there. I think it probably was. But we do know that he's, he's promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And some of the times where God seems the closest is when we're in the fire, when we're in the trials. Because we remember, man, no matter how bad it gets here for a believer on your worst day, you are a child of God. On your worst day, you're still a citizen of heaven if you're a believer. He, and he's promised to walk through the fire with you. And remember, Jesus doesn't just suffer with us. He suffered for us. He suffered in our place. He's with us. The last lesson, and this one's super important, I think, for all of us. These guys, they didn't just stand in the moment. They'd been standing for a long time. 
It wasn't like they woke up that day and, and were just like, oh, wait, they're doing what? Oh, the music's playing? No, nah, I don't think we're going to do that. These guys have been living with resolve for a long time. They decided not to defile themselves years and years ago. They've been seeking the Lord every day, day in, day out. They've been reading the scripture. They've been standing for a long time. So then when the moment came to stand, they did what they'd always did. Man, establish these habits right now. For you guys, seek the Lord like these guys did. You don't know if you're going to have the power to stand. Stand in your bedroom. Stand with the word right now. Establish yourself right now. All right, I'm going to be different. I'm going to seek the Lord. These guys didn't just stand in the moment. They've been standing for a long time. I'll say this, man. You guys are never going to face this situation, truly. Bow down or be burned. You're you're never going to face this situation. So I'm not talking about standing firm in this literal situation. I'm also not talking about, like, take a political stand on this issue or that issue. And, and, and maybe not even like a public defending of the faith, although you may be faced with that. What I'm saying is, you're not going to face idolatry on some plane somewhere. What you need to be worried about is idolatry right here in your heart. That, that's the real thing. You're going to be tempted to worship what the world worships. And it's going to be really subtle. It's not going to be a crowd of celebrities looking at you, telling you to worship this, but it might be a little more subtle than a crowd of celebrities right here telling you what to worship on your phone. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be an inward tug. Man, I want to find my identity and what I'm good at or how I look or something like that, man. Nebuchadnezzar wanted outward worship. Jesus wants your heart. He wants your love. So don't bow down to the lesser gods of thinking your worth comes from something else, man. We serve the one true God. So we think differently and we act differently. We stand firm. The key is, seek the Lord daily. Resolve not to defile yourself. Worship the Lord in your heart and stand firm because God's with you. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.